0: Uh, As I start off, I wanted to um, uh, just ask you a question. I want to start with a question. What are your expectations when it comes to living the Christian life? What do you expect the the Christian life to look like? Uh, Some of you have been Christians for quite some time. Some of you for not quite as long. But we all have expectations about what our life might look like as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to present to you two extremes of what some people have portrayed as the exemplary Christian life. Uh, the first one is a guy called Simon the Skylight. Uh, Simon the Stylite lived in the 5th century um, uh, AD. Uh, at the age of 16, he entered into a monastery uh, determined to practice a, uh, uh, a sincere and austere Christian life, following His Lord Jesus devotion, denying Himself many many things. His understanding of how to live the Christian life properly in this world was to remove yourself from the world, to uh, to live separate from the world, denying the things of this world in honor of Jesus, who said it was the poor, it was the meek, it was the humble, it was the it's the it's those who mourn, it's those who hunger and thirst who will inherit the kingdom of God. And so that's what he did. He denied himself in following Jesus. And this practice of a devotedly just life of denial was even too much for his fellow monks. And they actually asked him to leave the monastery because it was all a bit too extreme for them. After trying a few different ways to live the Christian life of denial, Simon decided the best way to honour his saviour was to live on top of a pillar. That's why he's called Simon the Stylite. So he lived on top of a pillar for more than 30 years separate from the world, denying himself, devoted to prayer. And this guy became famous, and so it didn't quite work because people thronged to him, to hear from him. And people copied him, seeking to devote their lives to God in much the same way as he did, at least for a time, devoting themselves to prayer, uh, living on a, a pillar like that. And so what he decided to do was create a higher pillar and a higher pillar until finally at the end he was... He actually died on a pillar 15 metres off the ground, living his long life of devotion to God. Now, you wouldn't say that Simon the Stylite was trying to live a normal Christian life. It's far from normal, isn't it? But, but this Christian life of denial, of asceticism, is something that has been popular in Christian culture and continues to be so. This life of devotion and self-sacrifice and removal from the world. On the other extreme, we have preachers like Joel Osteen who say things like this. quote will come up on the screen. Uh, God has already done everything he's going to do. The ball is now in your court. If you want success, if you want wisdom, if you want to be prosperous and healthy, you're going to have to do more than meditate and believe. You must boldly declare words of faith and victory over yourself and your family. Another quote. I believe that God has put gifts and talents and ability on the inside of every one of us. When you develop that and you believe in yourself and you believe that you're a person of influence and a person of purpose, I believe that you can rise up out of any situation. And so so what is the Christian life that Joel Osteen is encouraging Christians to live? It's certainly not a, not a life of denial and self-sacrifice, is it? It's a life of unbounded blessing. It's a life of expectant success and riches and health. That's the life that every Christian should expect, says Joel Osteen. And if you don't get it, then that's because you don't ask with enough faith. And you just need to ask expectantly. So these are two huge extremes about what it it means to live in devotion to God, isn't it? And what to expect in the Christian life. And both of those extremes are unhelpful. So what does it actually look like to live the Christian life? What should we expect while we wait for Jesus to come back? Should we go without? Should we expect blessing? Do we live comfortably knowing that our sins are paid for, thinking, oh yeah, that sin stuff doesn't matter? Or do we live lives of hard work of God living and working hard at righteousness? What, what does the Christian life look like? What, is, what are we meant to be doing while we wait for the Lord Jesus to come back? That's what we're going to be looking at today, particularly looking at Hebrews chapter 12. But before we look at how we live the Christian life, we need to do something first. We need to be clear on something else, and that is... What is a Christian in the first place? What does it mean to become a Christian? Part of the reason we need to do that, we need to look at that first, is because, as we'll see, the way you continue the Christian life is actually the same way that you started it. And we'll see that as we get later on in this talk. So firstly, have a look at this passage. It's a beautiful passage, the way that Paul describes how the Thessalonians came to put their trust in Jesus, their conversion. They tell her how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. I love how simply he puts how someone comes to Christ, what is involved in doing that. You need to turn from whatever is your current God, whether it be an idol in their case, or money or success, which are idols anyway, uh, relationships or comfort or security, self, whatever it might be, turn from that God and turn to God in Christ, serve him as king and wait for him to come back. So beautifully simple, isn't it? That's what the Christian life is. That's how it begins. That's how it continues. At the heart of what Paul is describing here is repentance and faith. That's what it is. Really simply, turning away from our old gods—that's repentance—and turning to God in faith, trusting Him, trusting His Son. Being a Christian is about faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But what, what's faith? What exactly is it? Well, faith and trust are the same thing, really. Faith and trust are the same thing. So, so I can—you know—we're all trusting in something. trust in lots of different things. You're all trusting the chair that you're sitting in. How, how would you know that I trusted in this chair to keep my tail off the ground? How would you know I was trusting? I'd sit in it, that's right. Now, if was if this had a broken leg, I do have as much faith as i like in this chair to hold me up from the ground. But if it's got a broken leg, when I sit in it, my faith isn't going to keep me off the floor. Because it's the chair that matters, not having my faith in Christian faith is faith in something much more than a broken chair. Okay? It's, it's based in fact. It's based in things that have happened in history. The Christian faith is based on fact. It's based on events that happened 2,000 years ago on the arrival of Jesus as a baby in our world. God in the flesh. His life... His miracles as a testament to who he was, who he said he was, God come in the flesh. His death at the hands of Pontius Pilate and his resurrection on the third day. Now, if those events didn't happen, it doesn't matter how much faith you've got. It won't save you. If those things didn't happen, your faith is a waste of time. It's a waste of effort. It doesn't work because the chair's broken. But the chair's not broken. Because Jesus did die, and he did rise. These are facts of history. Your faith is not a waste of time. Your life of faith is not a waste of energy. Because he did rise from the dead. And we celebrated those facts, his death and resurrection, last weekend. And we need to continue to celebrate it day by day. If you believe in Jesus here, your faith is not a leap in the dark. Your faith is is based on stuff that actually happened on real historical events, a real man who came and lived and died and rose again. This empty-handed acceptance of what God has done for us in Christ. Faith is not about what we do, it's not about how we feel, it's faith in what God has done. Such an important thing for us to understand. When we feel low, when we feel out of touch with God, we... We shouldn't wonder about our faith and whether it's strong enough. We should return to the cross and the empty tomb, remember what he's done. We should feed off the scriptures, reminding ourselves that what we put our trust in hasn't changed. Hasn't moved. It's exactly the same. But that doesn't mean that emotions don't fit into faith. It will impact on the way that we feel. You know, why not just unfeelingly believe? Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. If we really believe that, that will change the way that we feel as well. But we need to make sure that our feelings are in the right place. Let me introduce you to the faith train, which has just come up on the screen. Our faith, if it is to be well grounded in the struggles and persecutions and sufferings of life, our faith needs to be hooked hooked up to facts. Who Jesus is, what he has done. Who we are in him, which is on the next slide. Yeah. Our faith needs to be hooked up to the facts, the truth of what we believe in Jesus. Those things are unshakable, don't change depending on how we feel. Our feelings can then hook on to faith. The wonder of our blessings in Christ will impact on our feelings. It has to, sure. Our feelings will still go up and down, though. It's not to say we'll always be happy. Of course not. Hard stuff happens, difficult stuff happens. Depending on you know what you had for breakfast or what season it is or you know what what's happening in life the stresses of life that we're coming into winter and the you know, how long it's been uh, going through winter and how dark it's been impacts on our emotions as well. But beneath all of that, if, if we've got this faith trained right, beneath all of that, there is a joy in knowing that no matter how much my feelings might go up and down, there's a joy in knowing the certainty of what God has done for me and who I am in Him. If our faith rests on the facts of Jesus, even when we're not feeling well and works really hard or studies really hard, our knowledge of what Jesus has done can still move us to thanks and gratitude and feelings of joy. Faith is not a feeling. But if we turn the train around, we're in real trouble. If we turn the train around and base our faith on how we feel, we're destined for a crash. It's not how it's supposed to work. To live the Christian life for a feeling of the presence of God, whatever that might be, or a feeling of being right with God as evidence of our faith, what happens when we go through hard times? What happens when the feelings go? It'll be disastrous. We'll be full of doubt because those feelings aren't there. That's no way to live the Christian life. So, what does the Christian life look like in practice? As we thought about faith and how it all begins, and how we need to continue it. Let's let's talk about now about how we're going to continue it. As we explore the Christian life, what it looks like, we're going to be looking at Hebrews 12. So if you haven't got that open, make sure you've got that open now. This is a great passage that helps us to see what we should expect in the Christian walk. How does he describe the Christian life? Well, to get the context, chapter 11, we're introduced to a number of faithful men and women from the past who trusted in God in the face of troubles and difficulties and persecutions at the cost, many of them, of their life. And the writer of Hebrews describes these men and women in 12 verse 1 as a great cloud of witnesses. They're not so much witnesses of the life of current Christians, but more witnesses of God's faithfulness through troubles and hardships. And they've now entered into glory. So we begin at verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders. Here's the first thing that it means to live the Christian life. Throw off everything that hinders. What does that mean? It means we don't let even the good things of this life distract us from following Jesus. If they get in the road, we need to throw them off, says the writer of Hebrews. We don't let them stop us and hinder us in our race toward heaven. If at any time or in any circumstance things arise that distract us from growing in our Christian walk, becoming more like Christ, we need to let it go. We need to throw it off, discard it. It might be a life of comfort. It might be sport on Sundays. It might be regular weekends away that hamper our ability to come together with God's people and be encouraged and encourage others. What gets in the road of you seriously engaging with God? If that's a consistent thing, then maybe you need to let it go to make sure that you do continue to follow him. As Christians, we need to throw away all that hinders us from following Christ to the best of our ability. But that's not the only thing we're called to throw off. The next thing, verse 1 again, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Now, the Christian throws off a sin that entangles. It stops us running the race. The Christian isn't satisfied with sin in their life. They recognise this sin is not right for being children of God. So we need to recognise sin for what it is. It's rebellion against our God who has died for us. And who is our judge. When we do sin, we must ask for forgiveness and then do that next thing of seeking to change our life. The term not fall like that again. The Christian life is not a life of saying, oh listen, sin, it doesn't matter. That's not what the Christian life is meant to look like. No, we throw off sin. We put it to death. We kill it. We flee from it. We destroy it. And we do that not to earn God's favor. It's already been earned in Christ. We do it because we know the price has been paid. And we owe it to Him in thanks for our life. Now, the picture in these verses of throwing off everything that hinders is is like something out of the Olympic Games from the time that this letter would have been written. When they ran in the Olympic Games back then, they literally threw off everything that hindered And When I say everything, I mean everything. They ran naked. Okay. Now, for me, I don't think that would help me run very fast. But that's the picture that he's giving us. Whatever gets in the road, do what you can to make sure you get to the end. That's what he's saying. Make sure you make it. Don't slow down. This brings us to the third way the Christians need to, we as Christians need to live our life. First one again, let us run with perseverance. The race marked out for us. The Christian life is not a 100 meter dash. It's a marathon. Lasts a lifetime. It takes perseverance. It's not easy. There is pain. There is agony. There's a temptation to give up. There's suffering and hardship. The temptation will be there to give up and to say it's all just all this hard work isn't worthwhile. Isn't worth it. Now, what's the easiest stage in a marathon? Now I don't really know because I've never run one, and I don't even plan to. Has anyone here ever run a marathon? No. Oh, I can say what I like. About. <laughs> what? There was one? Oh, yes, yes, that's right. So what's the easiest part of a marathon? The start. What's the easiest one? Um, also a challenge also a thing that, uh, this morning someone said actually we'll finishes a subject instead So you like we'll that we get But you can't remember that <laughs> Um, but you know, so so you start because you know you're started. That's, that's that's not too bad. The finish line. Well, for me, it would be the first 100 meters and the last five. Okay, yeah, that's, that's the end for me. Um, it's the middle 41.85 k's. Okay, the middle 41.85 k's. That's the hard bit. All right, when you just start, just after you just started, and a long time before the finish line. That's when it's difficult. That's when it's tempting to give up. When the, when the pain is the hardest, I'd imagine. It's really difficult. you just so want to give up. Well, I certainly would. It's that middle 41.8 k's. And the thing is, that's the most of your life. Isn't it? That's when it's hard. How do we persevere? When it's difficult, when we want to stop. Verse 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. How do we do it? We look to our saviour. We look to the finish line, if you want to put it like that. That's how we run the race. But before we look into that, I just want to say one more thing about what it means to live the Christian life. As Christians, we will struggle. Have a look again at verses 1 to 3. I won't read it. We've already read it. But if you look through verses 1 to 3, you're under no illusion that the Christian life is going to be hard work, are you? It's crystal clear in that. It takes perseverance, determination. So let me ask you, is that your view of the Christian walk? Is that what you expect in the Christian life, for it to be hard, for it to take perseverance? Or have we swallowed the lie of our world that what we need and what we want and what we what we should expect is comfort, is the comfortable life? Because that's what our world lives for, and we swallow that as well. No, we need to change our expectation so that we should expect to have to persevere, because it will be hard. Our life will mirror the life of Jesus. You see that in verse 3. He endured the cross. He endured opposition from sinful men. He felt the shame that was heaped upon him. He was tempted to grow weary and lose heart. Jesus' life went from suffering now to glory then. And that's exactly the same path we will follow. Suffering now to glory then. Have a look at the way the writer describes the Christian life in verse 4. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Now I know that he's talking about persecution here, but what we see here is also a description of the Christian life. It is a struggle with sin until you die. That struggle doesn't stop before you die, it's a struggle with sin until you die. We will fall, we will fail, we will sin, it'll be hard. That's why it takes perseverance. Some people will tell you that there can be shortcuts to living the the true Christian life, the the blessed Christian life. They'll say that you can live the victory that Jesus has won for you, victory over sin, victory into blessing. And you claim that victory. You claim that promise. You truly believe the victory that Jesus won and it will be yours and your life will be a victorious parade of of victory over sin and blessing. That's not true. That's not what we read here. That's not what we're promised. The Christian life is not a parade of victories. It's a struggle with sin until you die. It takes perseverance. There will be suffering. What's well, good enough for Jesus. is good enough for his followers. We tuck up our cross. There's no shortcuts to holiness. It's hard work. And so now we come to the heart of what it is to live the real Christian life. Have a look at verses 2 and 3. What we see here in, those, in, in these verses is the Christian always looks to Christ. Eyes on Jesus, remember his suffering, remember his pain for our sake. That's the key. The Christian life is, is not about techniques for godliness, strategies for growth, secrets for victorious living. It's about looking to Christ, remembering what he's done, persevering to the end, living the light of living the light of who we already are in Christ. Have a look at this passage from Colossians where Paul unpacks what the Christian life looks like. He says, Since then you have been raised with Christ, Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And then he goes on with a list of different sins. You see, we don't work at godliness just by trying harder. Now, we should try hard, but that's not the secret. By getting down on ourselves when we fail. By berating ourselves and just picking up and oh, I'll just need to try harder again. It doesn't work. That path of holiness is a false path. The heart of godliness is knowing who we are in Jesus. That's what the passage says. Dead to sin. Alive to God in Christ. Remember who you are in Christ. Forgiven. Made new. That old life is gone. It is crucified with him. And so we need to live that out. That's who we are. That's our identity. That's our significance. Caught up in Christ. And then we need to let that move us in the way that we live our life and put sin to death and clothe ourselves with righteousness. The more we realize what an astounding and self sacrificial thing Jesus has done, the more our motivation for living the Christian life will be it'll be out of thankfulness rather than trying to draw attention to ourselves. Thankfulness for what he's done. And then we'll also be confident to live out a Christian life despite what others might do to us and despite our failings and despite our sin, Confident in who we are in Christ and seeking to live in honour of him. Have a look at this other passage, Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7, as he describes a Christian life here. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Can you see in this passage how the way you begin... It's the way you continue. The way you started, as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, so continue to live in Him. It's nothing different. We begin by understanding what God has done for us in Christ. We respond in repentance and faith. We continue by growing and understanding what Christ has done for us and responding in repentance and faith. If someone starts telling you that there's another way to live the Christian life, to grow in the Christian walk, don't listen to them. It's not right. They're actually taking your eyes off Jesus. Because he's the way we do it. Remembering who we are in him. Putting our eyes on him who's gone there before us. And following in his steps. Putting off sin. Living out righteousness. You should never grow tired of the gospel. Never. For it's the heart of our faith and it's the heart of what it means to live out the Christian life. It doesn't change. So never get sick of it. That's what it means to set our eyes on Jesus, as the writer of Hebrews says. Remember what he's done and who we are. Remember our goal where we're heading, the blessing of rest and heaven, the new heaven and earth that is coming, where our saviour is, and that path to there is going to take suffering and perseverance, throwing off a sin that hinders. One final thing that it means to live in Christian life Let's go back to Hebrews, let's round it off. Have a look at verses 14 to 17. I won't read it out, you can see it there, we read it before. This is where we see the place of Christian fellowship, the importance of church in the Christian life. You see in these verses, we are accountable one to another. We need one another. This is not an individual race. This is something we do together. We're accountable to each other. We are here for each other to make sure that none of us fall away, that none of us are tempted and... And stop running, that all of us continue to persevere, that none of us give up the struggle with sin. We need each other. We need to be honest with each other. We need to help each other. We need to share our struggles. We need to share our failings and our weaknesses. We should make ourselves accountable to others and others to us, spend time with each other so that we can trust each other, so that when the rebuke needs to come, or oh, the people rebuking us, we will listen. Or we might need to rebuke someone else that they might listen to. We need to work hard at that relationship. Keeping one another accountable. The normal Christian, the Christian should not pretend that they're fine. We don't play that game. Christians don't stay at home, away from Christian fellowship on a regular basis. That's not what they do. That's not how they continue and persevere. Christianity is something we do in community with brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's really important that we continue to do that. And I just praise God when I see that continuing to happen here. And I do pray that it will continue to happen. So let's do that. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for what you've done for us in Jesus. We thank you that, Jesus, you have gone through suffering and entered into glory. And we pray, Lord Jesus, come. But in the meantime, Father, help us to throw off the things that hinder the sin that entangles. Help us to run with perseverance. Help us to endure to the end. Help us to do that together. Help us to keep one another accountable. Help us to spur one another on in love and good deeds. Help us to love one another enough to do that. And I want to pray that you would do this wonderful work by your word, by your spirit, through each other, that all of us would be there on that last day and hear you say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Welcome to the rest that I saved you for. Amen.